Chris Cooper, Western Carolina political scientist. Welcome back. It's great to be here. Yeah, always good to talk to you. Um, so we had a major ruling come down from the Supreme Court in which they basically punted on the issue of gerrymandering on two cases. What was your initial reaction to the ruling? That we really didn't learn much new, right? Not much will change. I mean, I think we're going to be in this holding pattern we've been in for a while. I think we've been trying to figure out hey, what is the court going to do? Are they going to impose some sort of a a rule, a bright line in the sand that says, hey, this is where it's gerrymandering and this is where it's fair game? And they did not do that. Okay. So, and and I've read some stuff since then that's talked about North Carolina's case and Mm -hmm. said that maybe North Carolina's case now becomes the one that's at the forefront. Sure. Do you think so? I think it's the next one to come up, right? So essentially what the court said is, hey, Wisconsin, you guys can go back and look at this case again. So the court ruled not so much on the merits of the case, but what they said was that the people didn't have standing to sue. So essentially um, the standards they were using were statewide standards. And the court said, hey, it's got to be individuals injured in their own district. So they said, hey, go back to the drawing board, Wisconsin. North Carolina is then the next one in the queue. So I think Wisconsin will continue to be important and North Carolina will continue to be important. It's just that North Carolina may come up a little bit sooner. Right. And North Carolina's case may be different. So do you, do you, first of all, do the people who sued in North Carolina, do they have standing according to the Supreme Court's Right. And I think this is a bit of a question, right? And so North Carolina is a little bit different because it's uh, organizations that are suing. And so there's some question right now. The court said, hey, these individuals, so if I live in District A, I can't sue because I don't think I'm represented statewide. The question is, if I'm a political party or a group, then is my injury actually occurring statewide? So I think there's some question legal scholars are disagreeing right now as to whether the North Carolina case will have standing to sue. It's uh, similar in that it's on partisanship, but it's a little bit different because the people who are bringing the suit are organizations instead of individuals. Did we learn anything from these latest rulings about where Justice Kennedy might stand. Yeah, this is right. So the idea is that Justice Kennedy is this swing vote, the the mythical swing vote. He's sort of given us some clues that he's not real fond of partisan gerrymandering, that he wants a solution, that he may want a solution while he's on the court. Um, Reading the opinions, it's hard to tell exactly where Kennedy stands. We know Justice Roberts thought that the efficiency gap, the standard they were using was, in his words, sociological gobbledygook. But uh, it's a little Quite bit less hard. clear what uh, what Kennedy <laughs> thinks. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and now the North Carolina case could be more. Uh, it, it, when when I looked at it, it looked like maybe the North Carolina case could be the one that actually tips the balance because Republicans in North Carolina were so explicit when they drew the maps That's that they were doing it for partisan gain. I mean, they didn't even hold that back. No, they didn't. The intent is clear. And, and we have Republicans on the record saying, hey, it's only uh, the kind of partisan uh, differential it is because we couldn't push it farther on our own advantage. They've said very clearly, this is what we did. This is what the Democrats did before us. And we think it was legal. Um, the question isn't really one of intent. It's one of legality. And again, where is that line in the sand? And I think that's where the court has never really weighed in and said, this is too much and that is not too much. Right. Now, one question I had, Pennsylvania, Mm -hmm. they took their case to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. The Supreme Court overturned it. Now, why wouldn't North Carolina just take their case to the North Carolina Supreme Court, which is a four to three split Democrat over Republican? It seems like that's 
the right. roadmap. Well, yeah, essentially uh, they did in some ways, right? This is being appealed to the United States Supreme Court. And so that same thing could happen in Pennsylvania as well. But the Supreme Court declined to take up the Pennsylvania case. Right. So why is it different in North Carolina and Pennsylvania? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, they're, they're different cases. And um, one is really about the Pennsylvania Constitution. So I think that's really the main difference, right? So I see. elections in the United States are, are kind of weird in some ways. We've got all sorts of state rules that govern us, and then we also have these federal rules. And so the North Carolina case is based on the United States Constitution. This Pennsylvania case is more based on the Pennsylvania Constitution. I see. Okay. Now, uh, meantime, state Republicans are still making changes to North Carolina's elections. Mm -hmm. Really this week, as we speak, uh, right. a number of changes. One changed early voting rules. And uh, the controversial aspect of that, I think, for most Democrats is that they've gotten rid of the last Saturday before Election Day. Mm -hmm. uh, is this a significant development, do you think? It is. Um, I think it's significant development for uh, a lot of reasons. One, I mean, it's the same uh, fight we've been having, right, where um, the Democrats and the Republicans are going at each other, not really based on kinds of policies that we might expect the legislature to look at, but really how are elections conducted and how are the rules made up in the state? So essentially what the General Assembly is doing is they're saying we're getting rid of Saturday voting, but we're going to start early voting a day earlier. Okay, so they're saying this number of days, the Republicans will argue, the number of days are the exact same. The Democrats will argue, hey, but that last day of voting, that Saturday voting was really popular and it was particularly popular amongst African-American voters. So that's where a lot of that fight is. Um, the other provision that, that's kind of buried in there is that this law will require every county to be open on weekdays from 7 to 7, from sort of 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., the same number of hours. And uh, some folks argue, hey, this is really good. It's consistent. No matter where you live, the same rules apply. Other people say, hey, in a you know, place like Graham County that's a lot less populous, they may not actually be able to get enough volunteers to be open that number of hours. Right. And so the argument would be that maybe there are going to be fewer places open. That's right. And But they are required to have at least one site open. Is that how it That's works? That's correct. Okay. Yes. They're required to have at least one site open. But we do know, and there's really good evidence, that people are more likely to vote when they're closer to a polling place. This makes all kinds of sense, right? If I'm down the street from a polling place and it's between home and work, I'm going to go vote. If it's harder, I'm going to be less likely to vote. And so uh, just to grab, you know, Graham County or Cherokee County or any of these smaller counties in Western North Carolina, they may not have enough volunteers. They may not have enough poll workers to be open for as many polling places for as many hours. And speaking about the last Saturday, uh, we don't really know, I guess, exactly why it was so popular, but we can presume, I guess, that a lot of people procrastinate or they wait until the end. And then that last Saturday, people may not be at work. That's right. So there's these sort of two views on why the last Saturday was so popular. The Democrats are arguing, hey, it's because it's a Saturday. People aren't at work and people mm -hmm. don't, particularly people in blue collar jobs, may not have the ability to get off and vote easily on a weekday. Um, the other side is arguing, hey, it was popular because it was the last day. If you move the last day to a Friday, Friday will be the most popular day. And so um, we're actually going to have a test of this. I'm really interested to see what this does to early voting and what it does to voting on that last Friday. Now, uh, Democrats and Governor Cooper had had a lot of success in the courts at overturning laws. Recently, it seems not as much. Uh, the 
rulings have gone more in Republican favor. There's one uh, that they tried to sue over the getting rid of judicial primaries, mm-hmm. and they just lost that court case. Uh, Democrats did. That's true. Um, do you think that uh, a lawsuit's going to come about these latest changes? Because it seems like what they've done is they had that 2013 election law that also had the voter ID uh, got struck down by the courts. And now it looks like they're kind of taking a piecemeal approach to do the same different things to see if yeah. maybe some of it sticks. No, I think that's right. The, the old law, the sort of monster law that people talk about, the headline issue is certainly voter ID, but there were you know about 18 other provisions in there. Changing early voting was one of them. And so it didn't work last time because, like you said, the Democrats won in the courts. This time, the Republicans are breaking it up into a series of smaller bills. So it's the same debate we've been having for, you know, half a decade or so. Um, And I do think it's likely that the Democrats will again try to go to the courts. If you lose at the legislature, you got to kind of go wherever you can. And I think for the Democrats, the only option they're really going to have is to go to the courts. Right. And voter ID may be coming back in the form of a constitutional amendment. Mm -hmm. Uh, Where do you see that going? Yeah, so voter ID, it looks like we're going to probably end up with uh, some folks, say, four constitutional amendments. We don't know yet, but there's a potential for up to eight, I believe, but four that seem the most likely. Um, One about hunting and fishing rights, Mm -hmm. Um, one that's kind of a victim's rights bill, one that would cap the income tax at 5.5 percent, and then this voter ID bill. Um, The voter ID seems like it is... um, almost certainly going to make it through both chambers. I think every signal we have is that it will end up on the ballot. Um, it's uh, it's pretty brief. It doesn't really say a lot about how we're going to implement this. It just says, hey, you're going to have to show a photo ID before you vote. Um, it tends to be a fairly popular issue. Um, so, uh, you know, I think it's going to draw turnout on both sides. I think it is almost certainly going to be voted on. And I think if kind of past voting patterns hold, it's fairly likely to pass in November. Yeah. Now, uh, headlines this week are seemingly all focused on the family separation policy Mm -hmm. at the border, the Trump administration policy. Um, Do you think that this is something that sticks around until November or is it going to go away or what do you think? I I think it will likely stick around until November, or at least the Democrats will try to get it to stick around until November, Mm -hmm. right? So we've got... You know, one recent poll had 27 percent of Americans that are in favor of this policy. Um, That's about the floor that you can really get for any issue. Even Richard Nixon, the day he was uh, resigning, had about 27 percent approval. So that's 27 percent is about as low as you can get. What that means to us is that this is an issue where the Democrats are on the kind of winning side of the issue. So they are likely to continue to bring this up time after time. We've got great pictures. We've got audio at this point. Um, This is going to be a campaign issue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, How do you think it'll affect things locally? I mean, I know um, Congressman Meadows, uh, Mark Meadows Mm -hmm. has introduced legislation to to tackle the issue. Yeah, I think locally it's it's unlikely to have a big impact. I think nationally it could matter, particularly on some of these um, border districts that are going to be more competitive. I think in Western North Carolina, um, it'll be brought up as a campaign issue, but Mark Meadows, by bringing this up, I think is trying to mitigate the the damage that the Republicans might suffer. I see. Has anything changed in Western North Carolina as far as congressional races? We we had talked about them being very safe for Republicans, yeah. and is is that changed? You know, I think it's not. I mean, if you mm-hmm. look at, at any kind of national um, uh, group that that kind of rates these uh, elections, it would seem that Meadows and McHenry are 
safe. They are in very, very safe districts demographically. They're in safe districts and that you have two prominent members of Congress already um, representing us. It doesn't mean that something couldn't happen in November. Certainly there's a reason we have elections, but um, the Democrats on both sides uh, in both districts face an uphill battle. Would you say that they are somewhat insulated, even if there's a blue wave? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I I think we, you know, whether I don't think we're going to have a blue tidal wave. I think we might have a small blue wave um, mm-hmm. come November. I think it's unlikely to uh, to affect us here in Western North Carolina, at least at the congressional level. I think there are some state legislative seats that are maybe more at play. But at the congressional level, um, Meadows and McHenry, at least at this point, look like fairly safe bets. Now, there are a couple of congressional seats that Democrats are targeting in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think that these are legitimate targets or are they kind of wishful thinking? Yeah, maybe a little bit bit of both, right? I I mean, I I think they are um, on the wishful side of competitive. Uh, Uh, I think it's certainly um, possible that they flip, um, but it's going to be difficult um, for the Democrats. That would be the kind, those would be the kind of seats that would come in a big blue wave. I see. Okay. Did you learn anything uh, from our primary? Uh, I mean, as far as turnout, you know, uh, trends, anything like that? It's a great question with a with a terrible answer. Um, you know, I'm <laughs> not okay. sure. I mean, the the primary electorate is very different than the general electorate. Um, I don't think we learned that much. I think maybe the biggest clues we have really are what these unaffiliated voters did. Mm-hmm. So the um, second largest category in North Carolina is um, unaffiliated. So we have the most registered Democrats, then unaffiliated, then Republicans. So in yeah. North Carolina, these unaffiliated voters can choose a primary. So I'm always interested to see which primary they choose. Um, and it does look like these unaffiliated voters did choose the Republican primary across the state in fairly large numbers and somewhat consistently with what they did in the past. And so perhaps that's a clue that um, most of these unaffiliated voters are leaning a little bit right. We'll find out in November. How significant do you think it is that we've got two new official political parties in North Carolina? Yeah, I think it's a fun uh, it's a fun factoid. Um, I don't know that it's going to really matter, right? These are still very, very small uh, groups. Uh, one of them, of course, cast their First ballot in the primary um, in the uh, early voting period. And actually, that one was cast at Western Carolina University at the uh, early voting place. It was the first the first ballot of that party cast in our state. Um, it's unlikely to matter. I think it's important. I think we want to get more voices heard. But it's extremely unlikely that any of these third parties would get anybody in office. I see. Okay. Well, Dr. Cooper, those are my questions. Is there anything we should cover that we haven't, you think? I don't know. Maybe the, you know, just the process this time. I mean, I think that's been as much of this state legislative session as anything has been about um, fights over process. So some of that's been voting laws. Um, Some of that's also been when bills are introduced, right? So this early voting bill was introduced, depending on who you listen to, at either 11 o'clock at night or one o'clock in the morning, um, Mm -hmm. and then voted on the very next day. And so I think that's been... um, Something has been happening over time, but it's certainly been debated a lot across the state. And I, I think it is um, uh, kind of the luxury of being in the supermajority that Republicans have been able to pass bills without much discussion. The budget didn't have a um, time for amendments. Um, so it really was a, a more closed off process this time than it has been in the past. Yeah. And um, that elections bill, there was a lot of 
controversy over that. The state elections board didn't know about it until the night before, as you mentioned. And then while they were voting on it, the elections board was having an emergency meeting about that bill at the very same time. So I was having to bounce between studios to record this thing. And I don't know if that's another partisan battle, like some of the Democrats on the elections board, or or is it, they they seemed pretty upset. Yeah, I think so. And and, and I think... um Look, that's not the way anybody wants democracy to work, right, is with that little time and that little information. I think in defense of the um, of the acts, I mean, these are issues we've talked about for a long time. It's not as if they came out of nowhere. But at the same time, I do wish we had more time to consider. And I wish um, the minority party, whoever's in the minority party, had more time to weigh in whether or not they're successful. Yeah. And I'll mention, too, just in closing that. Uh, we record a lot of the sessions and uh, committee meetings here at Blue Ridge Public Radio, and a lot of these meetings have been held in rooms without audio mm-hmm. so that we can't record them from here. So mm-hmm. reporters in Raleigh can get there, but we sitting in a studio here can't actually record those. So that's been unfortunate. And they've been a lot of significant meetings, elections meetings, mm-hmm. uh, judicial meetings, things like that, where they're actually taking some real uh big changes to how we elect people and that kind of thing. That's right. And I think that is a a regional issue to some degree, right? So we're closer to five other state capitals than we are to our own. Um, It's a long ways to Raleigh from here. And so um, folks who want to pay attention to what's going on in state government are going to have a little bit harder time in the the listening area, Blue Ridge Public Radio, than they may um, right around Raleigh. Right. Dr. Cooper, always nice to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thanks for being here.